Welcome to the Determined Truth Podcast. I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. Where we aim to explore questions of truth, the scriptures, and what it means for the church today. Here's your host, Rob Dalrymple. Today's podcast is from a sermon series I did on the Gospel of Luke. I hope you enjoy. Seven forty-two or three or four or something like that in your pew Bibles, and uh, anybody have the page number? Seven forty-two. Thank you very much. Gospel Luke chapter seventeen, chapter eighteen. Uh, I titled this sermon initially in, in the order of worship, "How to Enter the Kingdom of God." But as I was preparing this week more uh, more deeply for it, I decided to title it, "You Might Be a Pharisee If." <laughs> There's a popular comedian, many of you know, named Jeff Foxworthy, who's known for, you might be a redneck if, uh, there are jokes like that, you might be a Christian if, you might be a liberal if, you might be a conservative if, and so I thought, well, you might be a Pharisee if. Now the Pharisees, just so we know, are the main religious party at the time of Jesus. Um, But we say religious party, but remember, back in that day, religion and politics were not separated at all. So they were a political party, a social party as well. They were the primary group, by the way, that Jesus probably would have identified with. They were the party that Jesus came into conflict with the most as well. Primarily because the Pharisees are the ones who had the greatest influence over the people. The Pharisees cared for the people. They were concerned for the people. And and in that world, it was an honor and shame culture. They thought, if you people would become like us, you'd be all the better off. We know what the Bible says, the Old Testament. We know what the law says. And we want to help you understand that. And so just follow the way we do it, and all will be fine and dandy. Now, as we've been studying the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is traveling on his way to Jerusalem. Uh, He set out for Jerusalem. And as he sets out for Jerusalem, maybe we're in the last several months of, of his life. It's hard to know all the details about that. But nonetheless, he's going to Jerusalem to die on a cross. His disciples don't understand that. They think he's going to Jerusalem to become the king. And the answer is, he is. He's just going to do it on the cross. And he begins to prepare and train and equip his disciples for what they're going to need to understand and know and do once he's dead, which they don't understand that that's going to happen yet. But at the same time now, the religious leaders for three years have been coming into conflict with Jesus because they don't like the kingdom that he's presenting. They want a militant kingdom, a kingdom that says that Rome is the enemies, that our enemies are those guys, that we're right, they're wrong, kick them out and justify us. And Jesus is like, no, I'm not doing that. Because the call for Israel was to be a light unto the nations. Your task is actually to minister to them, but we don't like them, they would say. And so they come in a deep conflict with Jesus. Jesus is eating with the wrong people. He's socializing with the wrong people. He's welcoming the wrong people. Jesus needs to understand, you've got to become like us, not like them. So now Jesus goes on to say, so let's go, uh, Luke chapter uh, 18, I'm going to begin in verse 9. To some who were confident in their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, and adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. Now the first thing to notice is chapter 18, verse 9, doesn't have a change of scenery. We've noted this if you've been with us. That in the Gospel of Luke, chapter breaks 
<coughs> excuse me, chapter breaks and paragraph breaks, you've you got to be careful with because they, they break up one section to another, but often these sections relate to each other. So chapter, eight, chapter 18, verse 8 ends with, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Will, he will, will I find faith when I come? Chapter 18, verse 9, then he told a parable. And we might even expect that this parable is going to explain what faith on the earth looks like. When I come, will I find faith on the earth? Oh, well, let me tell you a parable. Two men went up to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. Now, you have to remember the Pharisees were, were respected. They were, they, they were appreciated. They were, uh, they, they were idolized. They were respected. They, they were the people that were highly esteemed. Jesus begins, to some who are confident in their own righteousness and look down on everyone else, Jesus told a parable. The Pharisee thanks God that he's not like others. Note all the eyes in the passage, in, in, the, in the statement there. I am, thank you, that I am not like other people. Or even, I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all I get. He's extremely religious. Fasting twice a week is way beyond the Old Testament law. By the way, the Old Testament law, the books of Deuteronomy, etc., only require fasting one time a year. The Pharisees and religious, religious leaders thought, well, we should maybe fast once a week. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all that I get. They were not required to give a tenth on everything. If you buy something in the marketplace, that you, know, you bought it with your... You don't tithe on that. The Pharisee tithes on even what he buys at the marketplace. In case you didn't tithe on it, I will. Verse 13 now. But the tax collector, he stood at a distance, and he would not even look up to, to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, you've got to understand, this is the, the end of this parable. When the, 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 the people hearing Jesus say this would have went, what? Surely you're mistaken, Jesus. Because we kind of look at it and go, oh, this man's so humble. He's so... But they, they don't respect humility. Humility is not a virtue in the ancient world. You're humble because you have no honor. You're humble because you're disrespectful. You're humble because you're poor. Your circumstances force your... Humility is not a virtue. This man, he can't even look up to heaven. He, he has no respect for God. Surely Jesus is mistaken. He's a tax collector. He works for the wrong people. He's an enemy. He collaborates with Rome, and he profits from that collaboration. There's nothing good about this guy. The Pharisee has a, a model of piety, a model of righteousness. Uh, he knows the Bible. He prays all the time. He, he fasts twice a week. He gives a tenth of all he gets. And this guy can't even look up to God. Surely Jesus is mistaken. Note the comparison between the two. The Pharisee... Uh, is the one who relied upon himself at the beginning of the parable, the one the parable is addressed to. Others regard the tax collector with contempt. The, the Pharisee is the Pharisee, where the tax collector is a the Pharisee is the epitome of an Israelite, where the tax collector is the epitome of someone who works for the enemy. Uh, the Pharisee was standing by himself, but the tax collector stood some distance away, not even worthy to approach God. The Pharisee thanks God for a state. The, ta the, the tax collector addresses God with humility, which was not a virtue. The Pharisee returned, however, without justification. And the tax collector returned justified. 
because all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and all who humble themselves will be exalted. Now, now notice verse 15 continues on. People were, all, were also bringing babies to Jesus for him to place his hands on them. When the disciples saw this, they rebuked them. <laughs> Can you believe this? But Jesus called the children to him and said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you that anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God, like a child, will never enter it. Jesus is, is now giving us more of an understanding of what an attitude that pleases God looks like. They're bringing babies to Jesus. Now babies and children, of course, are, are those who are dependent upon others. But the disciples rebuke them. Stop this! Stop this! We look at this and go, why would you stop kids from coming to Jesus? And their answer is because it's bringing Jesus' status and honor down. Children are dishonorable. They, don't have, they haven't gained honor yet. If Jesus associates with children, it's, it's diminishing his honor. It's bringing shame. To, you know, we have to protect Jesus' honor. Jesus says, let the children come to me. If, one, if you receive the kingdom of God as one receives a child, might be the best translation, by the way. If you receive the kingdom as one receives a child, receiving a child is tantamount to hospitality, then you're in. Verse 18. A certain ruler asked him. Notice how it just continues from one story to the next, which means all these stories are related. The, 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 when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? We're still on that same theme. A certain ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and your mother. And all these I have kept since I was a boy, he said. When Jesus heard this, he said, he said to him, You still lack one thing. Sell everything that you have and give to the poor. And you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. When he heard this, he became very sad because he was wealthy. Jesus looked at him and said, How hard is it for the rich to enter the kingdom of God? Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, Well, then who can be saved? And Jesus said, Well, what's impossible with man is possible with God. But Peter said to him, We've left everything we had to follow you. Truly I tell you, Jesus said to them, No one who has left home or wife or brothers or sisters or parents or children for the sake of the kingdom of God, will fail to receive many times as much in this age or in the age to come, eternal life. A rich ruler questions Jesus. This man appears to have been present all, the entire time, by the way. He's like, okay, great, uh, how might I be saved? And he begins by saying, good teacher. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replies, what are you calling me good for? And we kind of think, Gee, you know, Jesus, <laughs> the guy's like asking you a legit question here. You know, what do I got to, and, and then he just, what are you calling me good for? And the reason why Jesus balks at this is because good teachers are an attitude of status. You just gave me a status, and now what I'm supposed to do is to reciprocate. I'm supposed to give you status back. You're a rich young ruler. You, you give me honor, I give you honor. I'm not playing that game. Why do you call me good? 
because you want me to call you good back. Not playing that game. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus responds by saying, well, keep the commandments. And he lists five commandments that all have to do, note, with community relationships. How we treat the community. The man says, I I've done all this ever since I was old enough. And Jesus heard this. He said to them, well, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you'll have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Number one, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. One cannot be a disciple of Jesus without giving up all of our possessions. Everything. Now note, to give up everything, he's a rich, young ruler. If he gives it all away, he will no longer be rich, and therefore he will no longer be a ruler. He might still be young. But he loses status. He loses his standing. He loses, a good teacher, now give me an accolade back. He loses all that. He will have no accolades back. Because he has to surrender it all. And then Jesus says, and then come and follow me. We're just saying, I surrender all. Everything and nothing less. I surrender all. And I think some of you are sitting there going, you know, I'm into this following Jesus thing, but, but I'm having trouble with the surrendering all part of it. Uh, and, you know, and, and I want to follow him, but I'm not sure I'm, I'm doing as well as, as everybody else. You know, and, and the answer is, just learn to trust more and more every day. More and more. It's, it's the things that we hold dearly to. It might be your pride or my pride. It might be our, our arrogance. It, it might be our materialism. It might be our status. It might be whatever. And, and, and surrender them. And then follow Jesus. I don't like to, let, to raise hands. I don't, you know, I, I don't, you know, you guys worship. It's like, just follow Jesus. If that prompts you to raise hands, then so be it. If it doesn't prompt you to raise hands, don't follow him. Surrender all and follow The man replies, when he heard this, he became very sad because he was wealthy. Matthew's gospel, by the way, says he owned much land. Jesus is telling a Jewish person to do what Jewish people aren't allowed to do, sell their land. Give it away. Your land is your security. And eternal life in a Jewish world means two things. Number one, you have land, and number two, you have family. If you have land, you can provide it and sustain yourself and for your family. And if you have a family, when you get too old to provide and sustain for your family, they will provide and sustain for you. Eternal life is having land and family. Go sell it. I own too much land. I, 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 I want to provide for my own well-being, Jesus. And come follow me. Jesus replies, it's, harder, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who's rich and in the kingdom of God. And those who heard it asked, well, then who then can be saved? And Jesus said, with what is impossible with man is possible with God. Jesus is going to now follow this up with two illustrations. Or he, I'm sorry, he follows this, uh, the, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector up with two illustrations. First, with a person of humble status. Children. And then with a person of elevated rank. Continue on, verse 35. 
As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. And, and they told him, well, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see. He replied, Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. Bartimaeus contrasts with a rich man. He contrasts with a rich man. The rich man wasn't willing to sell his possessions and follow Jesus. Bartimaeus says, I don't care what you say to me. I'm crying out, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet, be quiet. No, son of David, have mercy on me. And the son of David says, absolutely. Bartimaeus is the child coming to Jesus. And the crowd is hindering the child, Bartimaeus, from coming to stop shouting that out. No, I will shout. You will not hinder the children from coming to Jesus. And then he decides after he's healed, he will follow Jesus. As they approach Jericho, a blind man who's no longer... By the way, uh, of all the miracles in the, in, in the Bible, this is the only time we know of Jesus healing a blind man. Bartimaeus. He's not far from Jerusalem, by the way. The, uh, uh, very briefly here, on a, uh, I'll bring up two maps. This is the map of the Middle East. Uh, uh, Egypt and the Middle East here as well. You can see Europe and the Mediterranean Sea. So this region right here in this box uh, is the region of Israel itself. And as we focus that in on, here's, here's, here's Israel. And here's where we're at. Jesus has ministered for most of his time up here in Galilee. He's traveled uh, down here to the south, uh, all the way down the Jordan River Valley to the city of Jericho. Jericho is actually the lowest spot on the earth, uh, land-wise. It's about 1,700 feet below sea level. So from the Mediterranean Sea over here to the, uh, to the west, uh, Jericho is 1,700 feet below the Mediterranean Sea. Jerusalem is about 2,900 feet in elevation. So from Jericho to Jerusalem, it's straight uphill, over 4,000 feet. He's reached Jericho. We know what's going to happen soon. We're going to, we're going to the cross. We're, we're getting close. He reaches Jericho, and there's a man named Bartimaeus. What do you want me to do for you? I want to see. And Jesus heals him, chapter 19. Verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho, and as he was passing through, a man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was so short, he couldn't see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him, uh, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus uh, reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. Sorry if I had the wrong slides up. I can't see on my thing here. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to him, Lord, Lord, look here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house. Because this man, too, is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now, it seems like we're just 
covering a, a story after story after story after story, but I'm doing this very intentionally. Because even though we have a chapter break, 19 verse 1, notice the same thing that's going on. What must I do to be saved? Was the question of the rich young ruler. And notice Jesus' answer to Zacchaeus is, salvation has come to this house. The passages are all related. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Now, the readers of Luke 1 through 18 might think that Zacchaeus is on the wrong side. He's wealthy and he's a ruler. He's a sinner. He's a tax collector. Tax collectors work for Rome. Uh, uh, the Roman Empire is the occupying power in Israel at the time of Jesus. They control everything. They are there, and their presence is everywhere. You know who's in power. And if Rome wants to say, you carry this one mile, then you go one mile. Jesus says, no, go two. It's the Roman right of conscription. They can ask anybody they want, unless you're a Roman citizen, to carry something for them, and you are required by law to go a mile. And if you react in a way we don't like it, we have plenty of crosses available to let you people know who's in power. And Rome collects taxes, and that taxes go to Caesar. They go to Nero. They go to the emperor in Rome, who is not a good guy, who's living luxuriously. And, and some of our children are his slaves, are his servants. And you collect taxes for him. Imagine North Korea or Russia or some other country coming and conquering America. And they just parachute down into our country. They take our stuff. They tell you what we can do and what we can't do. And then your next-door neighbor goes out and works for them. And your next-door neighbor's job is to, to go door-to-door -door and give our money to them. That's what it is. He's a tax collector. But note, Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus. He, he, he's seeking Jesus. Note the comparison between Zacchaeus and Bartimaeus, by the way. And Bartimaeus calls out to Jesus because he's blind, but Jesus calls out to Zacchaeus. Neither of them are able to see. Bartimaeus because he's blind, but Zacchaeus because he's short. And so Zacchaeus climbs a tree. This is an illustration of the good news to the poor. Because believe it or not, Zacchaeus is poor. Zacchaeus is a child. Let the children come to me. These stories are all being strung together. Luke is not giving us any break in context to say that they're not related to what's going on. The, the context is let the children come to me. And Zacchaeus and Bartimaeus are examples of children. But we think, wait a minute, Zacchaeus is a rich, wealthy guy. No, the rich, young ruler who wouldn't give his possessions away and follow Jesus, that is the rich, wealthy people who are excluded from Jesus' kingdom. Zacchaeus is a rich man who's not excluded from his kingdom. Because why? Zacchaeus says, look, Jesus, uh, uh, half of my possessions I now give to the poor. This is the, new, the net Bible translation. If I've cheated anyone of anything, I am paying back four times as much. The Greek is talking about present tense. Zacchaeus, I know it's in most of our translations, Zacchaeus comes and says, you know what, Jesus, you're right. I'm going to change my ways. I'm going to stop stealing. But the Greek is actually present tense, meaning I am not stealing. I, am, I gave that up a while back. And because he gave it up a while back, Jesus answers, I've got to stay at your house. No, no, does that make sense? Jesus is not saying, if you stop doing these things, I'll come over. Zacchaeus says, I've already stopped doing them. And exactly, that's why I need to come over to your house. 
He wasn't using his wealth to procure honor and friendships. He was a social outcast. He's still out as far as society goes. Zacchaeus was using his money for the service of the needy and for justice. Now the question might be, well, why is he asked, not asked to give it all away? The rich young ruler, give it all away and follow me. Because for the rich young ruler, his money was hindering him from Jesus. Zacchaeus is already using his money for God's kingdom. And the scripture says, to him who, or her who is faithful with little, much will be given. He didn't ask Zacchaeus to give it all away because Zacchaeus is using it for good purposes. I want you to have it. In fact, I'm about to give you more, Zacchaeus. The rich young ruler, no, your money is an obstacle for you. You're using your money to gain honor and status and, and possessions and, and your land so that you have a place to retire on. You're too wed to your money. You won't follow me because you won't even give it away. Zacchaeus wanted to climb a tree so he could see Jesus. Zacchaeus probably thought, I have no chance to follow Jesus, by the way. Jesus never, because I'm an outcast. But he's doing Jesus and kingdom things. And so Jesus says, I'm, you might not think you can follow me. I'm going to your house today. Let's have lunch. Zacchaeus, I have already ordered the pizza. This is great. <laughs> the question then is this. How do we apply scripture today? You know you are a Pharisee if... Or, that's the negative way of saying it. How about this? You know you are a Christian if. I think Jesus is answering the question for us. He's answering the question. This is what a Pharisee looks like, and this is what a Christian looks like. The themes that tie these sections all together are those who act faithfully towards others and are not concerned with their own honor. This passage is indeed about how to enter the kingdom of God, as I initially titled this message. The rich man noted, what do I have to do to gain eternal life? Jesus' answer is, if you do these things, you can enter the kingdom of God. And in fact, because you're not willing to do these things, it's hard for the rich man to enter the kingdom of God. The passage is about how to enter the kingdom of God. And for our sakes, it would be how to distinguish between whether or not I'm a Pharisee or a follower of Jesus. And we begin with this. Sell your possessions and give them to the poor and follow me. Bartimaeus followed Jesus. Zacchaeus gave his possessions away. The rich man did neither. The Pharisee is the one who won't give the possessions away and follow Jesus. But Bartimaeus and Zacchaeus did. When Jesus says, let the children come to me, he's including Bartimaeus and Zacchaeus. He's not just talking about young kids. He's talking about anybody that we've excluded that we exclude for whatever, that we don't like the way they dress, we don't like the way they act, we don't like the way they talk, we don't want, like the way they look, we don't like the food they look, they eat, we don't like their race or their gender. We've excluded them from the kingdom of God. Jesus says, let them come to me. Do not hinder such a one. Now, we must say, by the way, the church has done a masterful job, historically, at many times, in many ways, as far as this is concerned. In the ancient world, an ancient writer of the early second century said that children were noted for fear weakness and helplessness. None among all the animals, this, this man says, is as prone to tears as children. In the ancient world, to be a child was to be dependent, defenseless, fragile, vulnerable, and at risk, meaning they were shameful. In the ancient world, children that were not wanted were, 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 were exposed. That's the word that was used in the Roman world. That they were exposed. They were left out to die. Most often, the child that was not wanted was a girl. 
They were left to die. It was children, it was Christians who began to care for these children, following the words of Jesus, and they began to open up what are called orphanages. Orphanages did not exist until the Christian church came along and said, let the children come to me. Early Christians established after the Constantine Christianizes the empire and cathedrals are being built all over the, uh, the empire. They established that wherever there was a cathedral built, there must also be a hospital. Because those who are outcasts, those who are no longer able to contribute to society, they don't, no longer a value of worth, of meaning, the church began to take them in. The Red Cross was started by Christians after a, a man began to see soldiers crying out in the battlefield after they had been wounded. A Swiss man, and he began to devoting his life to helping these fallen and injured soldiers. And he started in the 1860s, the Red Cross. Florence Nightingale, in the name of Jesus, began modern nursing. Father Damien established leper colonies. Tertullian, a church father from around the year 200, said, It is our care of the helpless, our practice of loving kindness, that brands us in the eyes of our opponents. Let me say that again. It is our care of the helpless our practice of loving-kindness that brands us in the eyes of our opponents. In the early church, a slave might wander into a service and have one of his masters, one of the rich and powerful, get down on their knees, take a basin and a towel, and wash the feet of the slave. Uh, an early church writing that, that talks about the order of worship services instructed bishops to never interrupt a service if a wealthy person of high rank entered late. But if a poor man or a woman entered the assembly, the bishop was to do whatever was needed to welcome them in, even if it meant that the bishop had to sit on the floor. Maybe you've heard the story of John Newton, the one who wrote the story, the song Amazing Grace. He made his money buying slaves, capturing and selling human beings. He wrote that there was no method of getting money, not even robbing for it on the highway, that was so morally destructive as the practice of slavery. He said that, that if seamen were so cruel, it was because there was no trade with which people were treated with so little humanity. His life was marked by gambling, profanity, and drinking, and then he contemplated suicide. And then he met Jesus. And he became an Anglican priest. And he wrote, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. John Ortberg, in a, in a book <clears throat> titled, Who Is This Man? says, Years ago I was in, Orth in Ethiopia, when it was under a Marxist regime, and the church was mostly underground. One or another of the leaders of the Christian group would frequently be, out, be arrested and put into prison, which was horribly overcrowded and unspeakably foul. Other prisoners used to long for a Christian to get put into prison because if a Christian was jailed, his Christian friends would bring him food. Actually, far more food than one person could eat, and there would be leftovers for everybody. It became the prisoner's prayer. God, send a Christian to prison. The church has been the model of not hindering the children from coming to Jesus. But then at the same time, the church has done a horrendous job. We've erected walls and all kinds of things that have excluded the outsiders from coming in. In the ancient world, at the time of Jesus, in the second, we call second temple Judaism, the Jewish world of Jesus' day, 
Wealth was a sign of blessing. It was an indication of that you're industrious. Those who are in poverty, it's because of your wickedness and your laziness. Oftentimes we have the same attitude in the church. And we exclude the poor and others without even hearing their stories and knowing why they are where they are. Yeah, sometimes because of their laziness and their wickedness, but not always. Zacchaeus reminds us that people who differ from us, people with whom we may or may not even agree on many things, they're still loved by God. Zacchaeus tells us that sometimes people on the outside are following Jesus better than people on the inside. The rich young ruler was not willing to surrender anything, including himself, to follow Jesus, but Zacchaeus had already been doing it. The ruler was a religious person, but Zacchaeus was an outcast. We have to be careful about building up walls and erecting structures that keep people from seeing the image of God in and through our lives. When we do that, we harm Christ. We, we harm our, our witness. We often lose our opportunity to build relationships with some really good people. We hinder them from coming to Jesus. As a result, let the children come to me is not happening in the church today is anywhere near like it has in history. We haven't had enough sympathy for those who are suffering. We were too late with the Jews during the Holocaust. We've been probably too late to help those affected by HIV. We're excluding and fearful of Islam and Muslims today, and I know that there's terrorism and all that going on, but I know many, many Muslims. I've stayed in their homes and they're good people. They may not know Jesus, but they're good. They welcomed me in their home. Let the children come to me. The difficulty with identifying Phariseeism is that Phariseeism looks good. How do I know if I'm a Pharisee? It's so easy to say I'm not a Pharisee because I, and then list all these religious things that we do. Look at the Pharisee. Uh, I thank you, God, that I'm not like him. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all that I get. Remember the original hearers of the, the, of the parable, the Pharisee and the tax collector, they would have been astonished when Jesus said, that guy went home justified rather than the Pharisee. What are you talking about? Jesus, slap him. Uh, he's, 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 he, he doesn't know what he's talking about. So how do we know if we're Pharisees? The first answer I would give is this. Jesus says, follow me. The Pharisee's prayer was actually more focused on himself. It was the tax collector whose prayer was more focused upon God. It didn't look that way to the world and the culture that time. The tax collector wouldn't even look up to God because he knew, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. The Pharisee cannot sing amazing grace because he doesn't think he's a wretch. It's the tax collector who knows, amazing grace, how sweet the sound. I am not worthy to approach the throne right now. I'm not worthy to look up. Father, son, have mercy on me, a sinner. That man, follow Jesus. But the second thing, what's often interesting, is that we exclude this. How do we know if we're Pharisees? Well, or, or, not, or if we're Christians? The answer is, do we follow Jesus? Or are we so self-absorbed? So focus on self that we miss the focus on Christ and on others. But the second point is, 
How have we treated the other? The Pharisee looks at the other as, I'm, I thank you I'm not like him. The Pharisee excludes Zacchaeus from climbing the tree. The Pharisee tells Bartimaeus, be quiet. The Pharisee excludes the kids from coming to Jesus. In a few weeks, we're going to get to the end of Luke chapter 18 and 19. Uh, chapter 19. Jesus is going to enter the temple. He, he's made his way from, from the north. He's coming down to Jerusalem. When he gets to the temple, some of you know the story. He's going to wreak havoc in the temple. He's going to throw tables overwards. He's going to scatter. And he's going to rebuke those who are in the temple. And here's what he says. He says, my house shall be a house of prayer for all the nations, but you've made it a robber's den. My house, my church, where my, where my people. It's supposed to be where others come in and feel welcome, and, and have we hindered others from coming in? And this applies to us as individuals, as well as to us as a church. This is a sermon for Rob. It's a sermon for you. It's a sermon for all of us. We, we, it's just so easy to fall in that pharisaical trap of thinking that we're righteous and thinking that we're good because we're doing good things for Jesus' name and then recognizing, oh no, I've actually done those things for my own sake. Oh no, and in doing those things, I've actually I've excluded somebody else. Some of you wonder why when I get up to give a sermon every time I say, you know, what's the page number? Because I don't want somebody who comes in who doesn't know where the Gospel of Luke is to feel ashamed. Oh, open your Bibles to Luke. I don't know where Luke is. It's helping the other feel more comfortable. It's page 742 in your pew Bibles. And I apologize for not having done that before the service, even though it's in my sermon notes. Whenever we put up scripture verses on the screens, we always spell the passage out. I don't put R-O-M. Because an, uh, someone who doesn't go to church, they don't know what R-O-M means. You all, most of you, it's Romans. D-E-U-T. Doot. Duet. Misspelt. It's Deuteronomy. We have to be careful about using insider language. Uh, are you saved? Saved from what? Saved in the church means something, but it doesn't mean something to somebody outside. Saved from what? They don't need to be saved. Redeemed, born again. When we sing, Hosanna, hallelujah. I, oh, Hosanna. Uh, that's why I don't need the worship. Uh, you, you now know. Right? What does that mean? Hallelujah means praise the Lord. Hosanna means come, O Lord. We sing songs and we do these things that are insider language that makes the outsider feel excluded or not welcomed. So we have to be careful. We put this, this, the, the words for our songs on the screens because... Because somebody new doesn't know how to use a hymnal. For those of you who want to use the hymnals, we tell you in the, in the bulletin what, what page number it's on. You can still open your hymnals up, but the, but the new person, they, they're, not, they're not about to crack that open. So as we do things as a church, as a community, and as we do things as individuals, we need to ask the question, how does this affect the other? How does this affect the other? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. And once we recognize that it was only by the grace of God by which we have come to know Christ, then we begin to realize, oh, it's only by the grace of God that the other comes to know Christ as well. 
Before the worship team comes up, I'm going to close in prayer for a minute here. We didn't do our prayer time earlier. So when I'm finished with the prayer, you guys can come up. Um, let's take a moment to pray. In a moment, I'm going to have Mark Cunningham come up as well. Just In just a moment, Mark, so we can pray over you as well. But let's spend some time in maybe silent reflection. And it'll be awkward being silent. And if you're new here, just think whatever you want to think. And if you're a member of the church or been here for a while... I want you to reflect. What have I done? What am I doing? To secure my self-status and honor and acclaim in this world and therefore haven't surrendered it for the sake of Jesus. And what am I doing and what are we doing that are hindering people from coming to know Jesus? And then let's, I'll, and then I'll pray, Lord, help us to surrender all. Let's just reflect on that for a moment. Lord Jesus, we recognize that everyone in this room is in a different place in terms of following you, in terms of surrendering our possessions and following you. Lord, no one of us has done it perfectly. We're no, none of us are there. We, we all have Phariseeism in us. We're all Pharisees to some extent. Now, the Pharisees never surrendered anything and does not want to follow you at all, but we still hold on to at least some of those things. Some of us are, are struggling to surrender anything at all. Some of us are struggling to follow you at all, and some of us are, uh, are, are learning more and more every day to give it away and follow you. But Lord, to, to not be a Pharisee is to begin by recognizing that we were blind, but now we see or that we are blind. And the problem with being a Pharisee is that we can't see ourselves. It, it looks good in the mirror. I, I read my Bible, I pray, I fast, I go to church, I give money, I, I do all these, we check all those boxes. And they're good boxes. But they're not good, Lord, if we're doing it for our own selfish ambitions, so that we can feel good in church, so that we can be secured of salvation. They're not good if those are our reasons. They're only good, Lord, if we surrender all. And Lord, in our Phariseeism, we haven't recognized that we look down on that tax collector. We thank you that we're not like them. I thank you that I'm not homeless, that I'm not poor, that I'm not a drug addict, that I'm not a convict, that, that I don't have all these problems. But Lord, if it's not for the grace of God, there go I. So help us not to look down upon them. Because I too once was lost. I too once was blind. And if it's not for the grace of God, there we all go. And so I suppose, Lord, in some ways, being a Pharisee actually might be the worst thing because we think we're okay. All these I've done since I was a child, Jesus. I've kept all the commandments. <laughs> you want me to sell everything and follow you? So, Lord, in our hearts, we confess. In our hearts, we acknowledge that we are Pharisees 
and that to some extent our Phariseeism just hasn't gotten away from us. We haven't gotten rid of it all. And help us, Lord Jesus, to surrender all and to follow you. And then in doing so, we would welcome the children and Bartimaeus and Zacchaeus, the outsiders, the poor, the lame, the crippled, and the blind. Zacchaeus is the foreigner, no longer considered part of our nation. He's, 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 that, he's that person. He's a person of a different race or a different gender, different nationality. Lord, help us to surrender all that we might welcome him in, too. Father, this church is a dynamic community of people with gifts and talents that have been used for many years to do wonderful and mighty things. And now we ask, Lord, that you'd raise it up again. You'd restore it with a fire and a passion even more intense than we've ever experienced before. First in our own individual hearts and then in the life of this community. That we might reach the community and beyond and hinder no one from coming to you because we're reminded that whatever we do for the least of these little ones, we've actually done it for you. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Mark, you want to come forward? Mark goes on these, and Liz go on these trips so often that sometimes they go away and we missed praying over them or anointing them. He's actually going in, in two weeks, 13 days, I think it is, right? 6th of October. Yeah, thir- 13 days, the 6th of October. But he won't be here next Sunday, so we're going to pray over him. And just you? No, Liz not going this time? No, just me. All right, okay. Um, uh, Mark, uh, some of you are aware, uh, our church, especially through Mark and Liz and their leadership, is heavily engaged with Living Waters for World Missions which works primarily in Guatemala, but elsewhere as well, helping provide clean water. Uh, I did not realize this until my trip uh, to Guatemala with Living Waters, that more people die from lack of clean water than from die from lack of food. The illnesses, the diseases that happen that stifle kids from growth, the health concerns from lack of clean water, um, and the lack of education because they miss school so often, uh, it's epidemic. So what Living Waters does, what Mark's about to do, is to go into a community working through a local church, building a water purification system that takes the water that they have and then purifies it so now it's clean, fresh drinking water. First, it provides a resource for the school, which is worked through Compassion International, through the local church, as well as as the local church. And then the local church takes that water and then blesses the community and sells it at a good price, cheaper than bottled water, because they can't afford bottled water, they can't have clean water. So they can buy this clean water now at a lower price, so it blesses the community, and as a result, we are letting the children come to him. So uh, this is a wonderful ministry uh, that they are doing, and Living Waters has a uh, dinner coming up on what day? Uh, October 19th, thank you. Uh, October 19th, if anyone wants to go to that, you can ask Mark or Liz after the service as well and get more information there as well. They've purchased tickets, so some of you can go uh, and find out what, what's going on there as well. But let's have some of you come forward. Let's lay hands on Mark. Let's come down here, Mark. Um, and uh, uh, pray over him as he leaves. Oh, Father, we ask that you anoint your servant. He's like Isaiah. Here I am, Lord, send me. And now you're sending him. Bless him and strengthen him and the team. 
to get down there with safety, with to get down there with all the goods that they need to build the system, with the resources that they need, but also with a heart of compassion, a heart of, of, of gentleness and love. And then, Lord, we thank you for that local church and Compassion International and their work in the school. And we ask, Lord, that this water would be a blessing. Oh, Jesus, you promised to give us living water that we would never thirst again. And that begins with clean, fresh drinking water to nourish our bodies that our souls and our hearts and lives might be ministered to and anointed. So we pray, Father, that this system would work, would be, would be efficient, and it would provide the resources of water to that church, to the kids, that their health would, would improve, that the community might see the love of Christ in and through this team and in and through this church, that the pastor and the leaders of that church and that congregation and the average member of that congregation would be a light and a witness, inviting everyone to come, come to our church and come get water, and that they might get eternal water, living water, the Spirit of God, that where they might never thirst again. Bless them in all that they do. We thank you for this day. We thank you for this ministry and this perfect and beautiful example of what it means to follow Jesus and to not hinder the children from coming to him. In the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information on the Determined Truth podcast, you can find us on iTunes. You can follow Rob's blog at DeterminedTruth.com or purchase his books on Amazon.com. See you next time.